you guys hear some of the words you sang in that last song? I know that's a new song for us, but let me just read some of those words. So I pray, bring me joy, bring me peace, bring the chance to be free, bring me anything that brings you glory. That, that's a weighty sentence. Bring me anything that brings you glory. It doesn't say bring me what I like that brings you glory. Bring me anything that brings you glory. And I know there will be days when this life will bring pain. But if that's what it takes to praise you, Jesus, bring the rain. But don't miss the bridge. Because how can you say something like that? How can you sing something like bring the rain if it brings you glory, if it helps me praise you more? And the answer is the bridge of that song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty comes back to who He is, that He is holy, that He is almighty, and we can trust Him. And so we can say, bring me anything that brings you glory, even if that's difficulty, even if that's hardship. One of the things about being being a family-style church, and and we've been here, I've been on staff for 22 years now, a little bit more than that maybe, and um, get to walk through life together. Get to to enjoy the good things. And, and I know the Mihais are here today with their new little bundle of joy. And we'll get a rose next week for you guys because, man, it's amazing you guys are here. That's awesome. Um, but also, it means getting phone calls to say, Pastor Ron, the cancer's back. Or prayer requests to the church body that says, we don't know what's going on with my child. And we're praying about that and looking for a diagnosis. And and many of you have battled cancer. And we have victory over cancer. And we also have people that have been called home because of sickness. And either way, we have to trust that this was God's plan and this was God's doing. You get that unexpected call that says there's been an accident. And what do you do at times like that? How do we take what we sing on Sunday with a group of believers, Jesus bring the rain and we want to give you glory, and actually put that into practice during the week? Because I could stand up here and say, well, it's easy. I have five. No, it is hard. It is hard when life is a mess to still bring praise to God and to still bring Him glory and to still trust Him. As we sang that song, I just was thinking about our congregation and so many of your stories and so many of the things you're going through. All of us. Because we live in this Genesis 3 fallen, messed up world. But the beauty and what we want to go this morning as we look at the text this morning, the beauty is that God takes what Satan intends to be a fallen, messed up world and he is weaving a tapestry that shows who he is, that shows his glory, that shows that he is the victor. And we just don't always see it in our timing. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to continue as Jesus is wrapping up his Galilean ministry as Luke records it. And we're going to continue a series of four stories, of four miracles. And these four miracles, two of which we looked at last week and we'll look at two this week. These four miracles are serving to expand the faith of his disciples and his followers to say, I am the Messiah. And Jesus is is answering the question, who is he? Who is he? I am the Messiah. 
And last week we saw Jesus just so definitively exercise his authority over nature. And he stood and said, stop. And the sea stopped. And he calmed the sea. And the disciples' minds were a little blown, right? Who is this, they asked. And he said, where's your faith? And then we saw the demoniac on the, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And again, Luke is, Luke is telling us these stories because Jesus has taken these incidents that are, are major incidents. And we have the, the, the largest demon possession that we see in Scripture, and they obey Jesus. He has authority over them. And so we've seen Jesus has authority over nature. He has authority over the realm of evil and sin. And this week... We come to the story and it comes to a little bit more personal. Does Jesus have authority over sickness? Does He have authority over death? Does He have authority over those things in my life that are just throw me for a loop and I don't understand? And so we come to Luke chapter 8, verse 40. And we get two stories. And the way these stories happened, and I believe Jesus intentionally had them happen this way, is they're interwoven together to, to deepen the impact of both. And so we start one story, and that, that sandwiches a middle story, and then we pick up the, the first story at the end, and that's why in your notes it's 1A, 2, and, and 1B, because we're seeing two stories intertwined that Jesus and His sovereignty is using to blow His disciples' minds a little bit more of who He is. And this morning as we, we look, I want you to look for two themes. Look for the authority of Jesus that he compassionately shows to the people involved. Jesus' authority. And then look for the faith that the people respond with. And we can learn from both to expand our view of God and to see how we should respond. In verse 40, we pick up the first story. And in your notes, the the first point is Jairus desperately begs Jesus to heal his daughter. Jairus desperately begs Jesus to heal his daughter. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And right away, if you were with us last week, and and we we studied about the demoniac across the, the Sea of Galilee, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, you remember what happened there? Jesus shows his power, he shows his authority, and the people there are like, nope, 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 not for us. This is going to disrupt life. We don't know what's going to happen. We're scared of you. Leave. And in one of the most chilling parts of last week's story, Jesus left said, okay, that's what you want. Sometimes God gives us what we ask for. And it's not good. And so he left and came back across. And, and the wording here really shows that this is within the same 48-hour period. Okay, so this is these four miracles Jesus does in, the, in 48 hours to show who he is. And he comes back. Now, instead of telling him to go away, the crowd on the other side, Capernaum, they welcome him. And, and there's, a, there's a little bit of irony there that I think Luke is pointing out of the two different receptions. They welcome him. They're all waiting for him. It doesn't mean they're all believers. It doesn't mean they're all on board with his Messiahship. Some of them just want to be healed. Some of them are, are wanting to see the show. And some of them are disciples. But he comes, and he's probably back in the Capernaum area. We've talked about Capernaum. That was his home base up in the, the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then we get to the story in verse 41. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And and Luke is setting up the the, the situation. And Jairus, as a ruler of the synagogue, was one that probably oversaw the operations of the synagogue. 
He would teach on occasion, but he would always choose who taught and what was read and just sort of organizing the synagogue. This was a place of of respect. Probably he was pretty well off too. So this was a a notable man in the the culture there. But also keep in mind that the synagogue and the rulers of the synagogue, they've had some run-ins with Jesus. And so there's probably some opposition in the past to Jesus. We don't know that for sure, but just thinking through the, the situation and thinking through what normally happened. But instead of coming to oppose Jesus, we see a different Jairus. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. You could read that he begged him to come to his house. And this was a, an act of desperation, an act of, of humility from an esteemed man who others looked up to. And he came, and we find out why in 42. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. He had gotten the word from the doctor. Your daughter doesn't have long to live. She's his only daughter. A lot of scholars think only child because of how it's written there. His life. And that news. No parent ever wants news that their child might go before them. Twelve years old for, for a young lady. I know we have our, our junior hires in here and some of you are twelve. But just to paint what's going on here, twelve years old for a young lady would have been almost marriageable age. Within a year or two, right before the prime of life, all that excitement, all of that newness. Jairus might be thinking, grandkids are coming soon. I can put some pictures in my wallet. and no. Nah. But his world is rocked. His world has changed. And so it changes his approach to Jesus. And he comes and it drives him to his knees. And it drives him to beg Jesus, can you come? Will you do something about it? And there's a sense of faith behind that. And we see that later in the story that Jesus can do what he's asking him to do. But his heart is changed to this man. I think of that and what drove Jairus to his knees, what drove Jairus to a change of heart. And so many times God uses crisis to drive us to our knees, doesn't he? When nothing else will, when we're just living our life and and we don't know what's going on, he will use crisis to drive us to our knees. I, I can remember this throughout my life. There's been different times where different crises have come up that have made me reflect and say, you know what, I haven't even been thinking about my Christianity. I've just been coasting. I've been living. I'm just going along, living life, and Christianity is just part of it because, hey, I know what I'm supposed to do on Sunday. And I know what I'm supposed to minister in. And God will often bring a crisis to come and say, but you're not depending on me. You're not trusting me. See, we, we can so easily go through a lot of days without depending on God without even thinking about God if we really wanted to. But a crisis will come along to drive us to a point where we are aware of our need. Where we will bow at His feet. Where we will not let pride rule the day. And we see at the end of that verse there, it says, as Jesus went. Just a simple phrase. Mark gives us a little bit more on it. But it's Jesus heard the request. and he, So He says, okay. Okay, let's go. And, and this act of compassion that he would even hear an individual request and then act on it and change his... He said, okay, let's go. 
And so we get to, to the end of verse 30, 32. And the people pressed around him. And that idea of press, in fact, is the same word that you heard Pastor Andrew talk about when he was talking about the parable of the soils. Do you remember the different soils? And the seed falls on some of the soil, the plant grows up, and then the thorns and the cares of this world press in on it. It's that same word, choking, almost choking out. Sometimes it was used of, of pressing grapes in a wine press, which isn't real fun for the grape. And, and so this crowd is pressing in, and, and you get this idea in these narrow streets that there are people everywhere. Sometimes with living nativity, it's like, well, man, you made it so narrow, and it was like crowded. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's what it was like. And that's what Joshua was after this year, is to, to press in to get that feel. So that's what's happening here, pressing in. And they're on their way to Jairus' house, and we get to point number two, and there's an interruption. Jesus interrupts his trip to Jairus' house to heal the hurting outcast woman with the blood issue. That's just a description of what's going to happen. Read, read verse 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Now catch the despair that we're seeing here. We saw the desperation of Jairus. Now for this woman, she has been sick for 12 years. I mean, goodness, men, we get a cold for two days. It's why there's all these memes about a man cold. Just saying. 12 years. What does that do to your, your, your hope? What does a chronic illness and a chronic thing we deal with do to your ability to try? You, it's so easy to just shut down. There's been 12 years of hopelessness, a discharge of blood. We don't know exactly what that is. Probably uterine bleeding and something that no one could have solved. She had spent all her money. She probably had money at the beginning, but she spent everything she had on doctors. And, and doctors haven't done anything. And one of the reasons for that is doctors didn't know how to deal with some of that. I, I, I read some of the cures for blood issues like this in the Talmud, and it, and it lists 11 cures for this specific illness. Some are potions, some are superstitions, and, and I want to read some of them just so we get an idea of her hopelessness and despair. For example, one of them was, Take of the gum of Alexandria the weight of a small silver coin. Of alum the same, of crocus the same, let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman. If this does not benefit, take of Persian onions three pints, boil them in wine and give her to drink and say, Arise from thy flux. We get some incantation in there. This is my favorite. If this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand. And then let someone come from behind and frighten her and say, Arise from thy flux. That'll be $300, please. She has spent all her money on cures like this that didn't work. It is a testimony to her that she is still pursuing Christ. That she is still even there and hasn't holed herself up in her house and given up. See, when, when we have a chronic issue like that, it affects us in so many ways. And for her, this affects her in so many ways. It, it affected her physically. It wears her down. There's physical pain. There's discomfort. There's frustration. We mentioned it's costly. This helplessness and, and helplessness often turns to despair or hopelessness. Spiritually, this would have left her unclean. For 12 years, she would have been unable to go to the temple, unable to offer sacrifices, unable to worship with any other person because she was ceremonially unclean. 
socially. When someone is ceremonially unclean in Jewish circles, that means you avoided all contact with other people. Imagine going through 12 years and never having any contact with another human being, only talking to someone from 10 feet apart. Now, some of you that are introverts are thinking that'd be heaven. (laughs) Most of us need some sort of interaction, right? This was all taken away from her. One, One author, Garland, wrote, she is a walking pollution. A walking pollution, a pariah. Probably couldn't have kids, which was so important at the time. Probably couldn't be married. So she's affected in all these different ways. I say all those so we understand the despair that she comes to Jesus with. She's unclean. The fact that she's in a crowd is actually pretty significant. But in verse 44, we get what she did. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And you get the picture of she's sort of sneaking up, knows she shouldn't touch anyone, doesn't want to be a bother to the Savior. Maybe she's hidden in a little alcove knowing he's going to come by. And, and he, she, he comes by and she reaches out and she touches the bottom of his robe or, or his prayer shawl. And that, that wording there is probably for the tassels. They would have tassels at the bottom of their shawls or their robes and it could have been either one. And she touches it doesn't even know for sure what it'll happen. And maybe in her faith, she thinks, maybe if I just touch him, he'll heal. Because she just has a kernel of faith and a little bit wrong in some areas, a little bit right in some areas. And so we see what Jesus did. Obviously, before healing, he needed to stop and correct her doctrine. And, and her, no, no, no. That's not what compassion would do here. There's, there's time for that. But in 44, it says, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Do you hear that? Immediately she was healed. Twelve years! Immediately she was healed. Oh, the joy that must have welled up inside her. It's really interesting because the idea of touch comes up throughout these two stories a lot. And in every case, Jesus is touching something that's unclean. Just being here, he was touching things that were unclean. He's touching something that's unclean. And in their culture, that meant he should have become unclean. And Jesus never became unclean. He always transfers his righteousness and his forgiveness to the person he touches. And the same is true today. Jesus is offering his salvation. He's offering his righteousness to give to us. And so he he heals her. And you'd think, well, that's the end of the story. But, but the story goes on. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, so everyone's like, not me, not me, not me. I mean, if you're the woman, do you, do you say, oh, it was me? No, she, she was trying to sneak and then sneak back. And, and, and everyone denies it. And Peter says, Master, the crowd surrounded you and are pressing in on you. This is Peter looking at Jesus and saying, duh. Okay, Peter, you know... <laughs> One author, I love this, said he opened his mouth long enough to switch feet. <laughs> and, and, and But Peter has a point. There's people pressing in on all sides. Jesus, you're, you're asking who touched you? A hundred people just touched you. But Jesus is pointing her out not to embarrass her, not to chastise her, but to lift her up as an example of faith. 
and to lift her up and restore her in society. And so Peter says this, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. (laughs) Sorry, I laugh every time I read that verse. 46, but Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And, And you get this, this explanation of Jesus where he's saying, yes, I know there's people all around, Peter, and I'm filling in my own imagination here. Yes, Peter, I know, but someone touched me and was healed. The power went out from me. And and when it says that, it doesn't mean that he lost his power. He's an endless well of power. Remember all the attributes of God. But that his power went out and healed this woman. He intentionally and supernaturally healed her. Now, we, sometimes we look at this, we're like, okay, is this some sort of magic? That if we just get the right robe, we can all put it in the back and touch it on our way out and we're good? And Jesus here is going to dispel that notion. But keep in mind, not everyone that touched Jesus was healed. This is also why Luke is describing that the crowd pressed in. There's a lot of people that touched him that weren't healed. This was an intentional healing, an intentional moment that Jesus knew this lady touched as him and chose to heal her. All kinds of debate of, well, did Jesus, was he really asking the question? I, I don't know. No, he knew. He knew who was doing it. He was doing this intentionally as a lesson. So he points her out. He brings her out into the open so she's not hidden. So he can teach others about faith through her. So he can show that this wasn't just a magical healing through his robe. Show he, so he could show his care for her by building her up, by showing compassion to her. He didn't just want to be her healer. He wanted to be her savior. And so he brings her in the next verses into the crowd's perspective. And he's able to talk with her. Jesus said, someone touched me. I perceived that power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, I've been pointed out. I've been caught. She came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And in that verse, you see this trembling woman who was afraid. And if Jesus had just healed you and then called you out in front of everyone, yeah, she's afraid. It makes sense. And she comes and it says she described what happened and she said, this is why I came and I was hoping for this and and I was healed. And she told her whole story. She testified who God was. Out of her weakness and what God did, she testified. And he said to her, this is such a wonderful, wonderful statement. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And he takes this trembling, bowing, scared woman who's gone through it for the last 12 years, who's just been healed, and he lifts her up and says, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. It's the only time in the Gospels we see Jesus refer to someone as daughter. It is an endearing term. And he's saying, you are part of my family now. We just had the text about who are my mother and my brothers. And and it's interesting because even the word for well there, and, and some people have, well, how do you translate that? It's not the normal word for healing. It's actually the word that we have for salvation. And the the implication is she's not only been healed physically, but now she's been healed spiritually. 
and she's been brought into the kingdom of God and he can say, daughter. What a beautiful act of compassion. Honoring her faith. A kernel of faith, not a a whole understanding of the doctrine of faith, but a kernel of faith that she was willing to act on and willing to believe Jesus could handle her situation. And he did. And he did. And he, he ends by saying, go in peace. The man who angels said would bring peace on earth is bringing peace on earth. And he nurtures her weak spark of faith, blows on it, fans it, and now her story is an amazing story that will be told. And so we see Jesus stepping into hopelessness, stepping into situations that sin has caused, this fallen world has caused, and said, I will use this for my glory. I will use this. Then we get to the the next section in verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, Jairus' house, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Picture what's happening. Jairus came, met Jesus down and said, Jesus, will you help my daughter? She's dying. This is serious. This is death. They're walking there to save his daughter. And they come across this woman who, yes, she's in hopelessness 12 years, but her need isn't as immediate. And Jesus interrupts what he's doing. He stops. Jairus stands there and watches this interaction. Do you catch this? This is why the stories are together. This whole interaction happens and everyone's like, oh, yeah, I, I don't know what they're saying. But, but it's, it's just a great interaction. And then they start to walk again. And Jairus, if I'm, if I'm the dad, I'm thinking, yes, finally, my daughter's going to be healed. My servant comes up and he says, it's too late. Hope is lost. She's dead. That is a heart-wrenching verse. He, he's, he's been watching Jesus this whole time. He didn't hurry him that we have recorded. He didn't complain. He was patient and trusting, and it didn't work. His, his daughter died. As a dad, I'd be pretty angry. I, I, I shouldn't be. I should trust Jesus, but my flesh would take hold, and I'd be pretty angry. And I'd be like, thanks, Jesus. You could have come back. You could have come back and healed the woman. And so you get another case where it's tempting to lose hope. It's tempting to give up. It's too late unless Jesus is with you. Unless Jesus is with you. And we see, again, an incomplete view of Jesus. They didn't understand who he was. He could heal, but, but now we've gone beyond the limits of his power. Now we've gone beyond the limits of what he can do. And maybe they hadn't heard the story of the widow's son but I can see him feeling, what about, what about my faith and my daughter? You commended the woman for her faith. What about me? I bowed at your feet. Jesus, if your timing would have been just a little different, if you would have done things a little differently, it would be better. As if we know. And you see in point 1B there, I can get to that in my notes. 
Jesus' delay appears to cost the life of Jairus' daughter. But it was in God's plan to show a greater miracle and nurture a greater faith. See, that's not where the story ends. And so we go on. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him. And, and the servant comes up. Jairus is probably right next to him because Jairus is leading him to his house. And, and he hears the hopelessness of the servant. And before, this is, this is part of his compassion, before Jairus has a chance to even break down, Jesus steps in. He steps in and he says, don't, don't fear, only believe. And she will be well. Interesting, again, the same word, healed and saved. Don't fear, only believe, and she will be well. See, whenever life throws curveballs at us, whenever we hit these, these situations, we have two choices, maybe more, but two major choices. One is despair and fear. We can give up, we can give in to bitterness, we can give in to hopelessness, or we can believe, we can trust, we can have faith in God. The two are incompatible. Because if we're despairing, if we, if we are, are losing hope, if we are letting that affect us in our life, we are saying God isn't enough. God can't handle this. But God says, and Jesus here says, believe, believe in me, trust me. And see what happens. Do not fear, only believe. Don't focus on the circumstances, focus on me. Don't focus on what you think you can't do. Focus on what I can do. Trust in a loving, a loving, caring, powerful God. And Jesus' promise to him was she will be saved. She will be healed. She will be made well. You know, the same promise is true of us if we don't despair, if we believe in Christ. Not that there's going to be physical healing in every case, because sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But we will be made well. The timing might be here. The timing might be in glory with our Savior. But we will be made well and God will be glorified if we believe. And we can ask ourselves all kinds of questions about a story of this. Why did Jesus wait? Why did he pause? Why didn't he just heal Jairus' daughter with a word before the woman came up? And, and, when, and, and those are good questions to ask as we go through the Gospels. As we study the Gospels, ask why. Let, let your, your imaginations go a little bit because these are real stories. And you know, if I had to think of some of the reasons why, I, I would think that God is here trying to show who He is. That Jesus is showing who He is. He's revealing Himself more. And, and by, by the delay is going to expand the miracle. It's going to, to put an accent mark on the miracle. Think of Lazarus. Same thing with Lazarus, right? And, and Jesus is called to come. And the word in the Gospels is he delayed a bit. And he shows up after he's dead. And then he raises him from the dead. And it's amazing, far more than if he had just said, be healed. And he's showing who he is for his glory. That he is master over life and death. Jesus is showing that he is God. If we had to be honest, wouldn't we say there's a lot of our time, a lot of times in life that we think God's timing is a bit off? That we think God has forgotten us? Maybe he's delaying for no reason. Because I want, I want to be healed now. I want to be well now. I want the situation to stop now. 
Why isn't he helping me and meeting my needs? I've waited long enough. I've felt that before. But we don't have all the facts. We don't see what God's doing. We don't see the bigger picture. And so we trust an almighty, almighty, compassionate, loving God that He does know all the facts and He is orchestrating all things for His good. And that's good enough. That's better than good enough. Trust not only in God's ability, but in His timing. And that's, that's, I think, harder. I think that's harder. Trust not only in God's ability, but also in His timing. He may be doing something far beyond what you imagine. And we're going to see that in this story. In verse 51, we see he came to the house. And he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James. It's the first time in the Gospels that those three have been pulled apart. And, and we see that as several more times. But Peter, John, and James come. And then the father and mother of the child. And he's going to take a, a small group into the bedroom to, to see this. And they get there and all were weeping and mourning for her. And, and outside, one of the traditions is you had all your family and then you had all your neighbors and then you had to hire, it was expected that you hire some professional mourners for the dead. And so they're, they're just making a scene. They're mourning outside. In, in fact, one, um, in one of the writings of the time, even the poorest person in Israel should hire at least two flute players and one wailing woman. It was expected. That was part of how you honor the dead. These guys are all outside. And Jesus comes by and says, don't weep. Well, some of them are saying, that's what we get paid for. But the others are all like, what do you mean don't weep? For she is not dead, but sleeping. Now, if you're outside and you've heard this, and, and, and if death is part of your business, so to speak, you know when someone's dead. This wasn't, some have said, well, it wasn't really a miracle. She was really sleeping. No, no, she was dead. That's just a term that Jesus used to refer to her because he was about to to raise her up because death was no different from waking up someone from sleeping to Jesus. Maybe unless they're a teenager. (laughs) His mind is in here looking at me like, oh, dad. (laughs) Death is no more of a problem than waking someone up from a night's sleep to Jesus. And so their response, and this is interesting, thinking of the response of Jairus, thinking of the response uh, to the demoniac, they laughed at him. It's sort of a mocking, scorning laugh, knowing that she was dead. So he comes through and they're like, really? She's, she's, She's sleeping? Are you nuts? They still didn't understand who this was and who they were mocking and who they were laughing at. They didn't understand that this was the resurrection and the life and that death just wasn't a problem. And in 54, we see again another compassionate, touching scene from our Lord and Savior. They're in the room, just the few of them now, but taking her by the hand, he called saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And I love, I love how real this is. And he directed them that someone should give her something to eat. Proving she really was alive. And a human being. Also caring for her because she probably had been sick and hadn't eaten for days or weeks. He's like, take care of her. She's fine. Take care of her. And she's healed. 
Verse 56, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them not to tell, or to tell no one what had happened. We don't know exactly why Jesus says this a few times, but more than likely he is, he is really controlling messianic expectations in the Galilee region. If you remember in the Decapolis, he said, go tell everyone. Those are Gentiles. They wouldn't have understand about a Messiah. They wouldn't have jumped all the wrong conclusions. But in the Jewish circles, they would have, if they really thought he was the Messiah, they would have expected a, a Roman defeat right there and an army coming in. And, and, and it would have, Jesus was acting on his timetable. And he was going to the cross on his timetable. We're going to see that coming up in Luke as he starts the journey to Jerusalem. And Luke paints that picture. He's controlling fame and he doesn't want people to follow him just because he's a miracle worker. He wants them to believe in him because he's the son of God. And he's offering salvation. And so we see the faith of Jairus now has resulted in his daughter being raised from the dead. If Jesus hadn't waited, it could have been a simple healing. But Jesus waited and it was a resurrection. What an amazing thing. Jesus' timing was better and showed who he was on grand display. Two stories. Two stories of hopeless situations where, where one woman for 12 years has been in desperate shape and she's healed immediately. A desperate story of a a 12-year-old dying and she's healed or raised by Jesus' touch. And again, He touched her and you're you're not to touch dead people. And He does. So what do we get out of this? And all along, I hope you've been getting, we, we need to have faith and trust rather than despair. That, that we need to trust that God is working and His plan is good and it is right. But I put some applications there on the second page of your notes. The first is that Jesus shows that through His power over disease and death, that reminds us that God is sovereign over all aspects of our lives. All aspects of our lives. He is sovereign over sickness, surely. He is sovereign over death. And when loved ones are called home, He's sovereign over what happens with your job situation, with your 401k. He's sovereign over what happens in your marriage. He is sovereign over these things. And and that doesn't mean that life is perfect because we live in a fallen world, but He is looking to take what Satan is meaning for evil and turn it for His good, for His glory. He doesn't just want a part of your life, but all of your life. He doesn't, doesn't just want you to trust Him on Sundays, but in every situation. Trust in our compassionate, powerful Savior. Another takeaway from this is especially in difficulty, we need to cling to these two truths that we've hit over and over today. The authority of Jesus and that we can trust Him. The authority of Jesus and faith in Him. We've seen in these four stories, He has authority over all things. Nature, the realm of evil, everything that that includes, sickness, and death. And that covers it. Trust that God loves you and He's working even when you don't see hope, even when it's against all odds, trust that God loves you and He's working. Third application there is faith is active. Faith is active. How will you live to show you believe God is handling things? If people see you through these difficult situations, do they see despair or do they see trust? 
That's the bottom line today. Do, will people see you giving glory to God or will they see you trusting in self and so you despair? Faith is always active. It always puts our feet where our mouth is. And for both of these stories, they acted on their faith. The, the ruler who may have been opposed to Jesus before came and bowed. The woman found a way to Jesus. You know, for us, what do people around us see? What do we let them see? And sometimes we have faith in God, but we're such quiet people that we don't show it. We need to show that a little bit in difficult situations. We need to be willing to say, you know what? Yes, this situation stinks. I've never gone through anything like this before, but my God is good. And my God is loving and he is caring. He is walking through this with me and he's helping me through this. People need to hear that. Because your story in crisis may be the very thing that brings someone else to the Savior and brings them to the kingdom of God. And then you have to ask, was that crisis worth a soul? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do people see us trusting in God? Or do they see gloom and doom and despair? I'm not saying we should never cry. I'm not saying there should never be sorrow. Goodness, when a loved one dies, there should be tears. No one wants to see someone rejoicing. But through those tears, is there a peace that knows God is in control? Trust is believing that God has this even when I don't see a way. And that gives a peace beyond human understanding third application there is God's timing is almost never our timing and his is better. God's timing is almost never our timing and his is better. We've talked through that as we went through the stories. Trust that in your situation, what you think of as a delay may be God setting up a better conclusion. Trust in God. It's his purposes, his way, his timing, His glory. Lord God, our Savior, oh, we worship You. We praise You. You are the God that has done all these miracles, but ultimately, You were showing that Jesus is God and He died to save us from our sins and to offer salvation to all all who will come to Him. Lord, we owe You our lives. Thank You for Your care, for Your love, and that we can trust You. Help us to live like trusting children this week. In Jesus' name, amen.